everyone. Welcome to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast. On Tuesday, the ASF staff are headed to Austin, Texas for the International Society for Autism Research meeting. It will be the first in-person of this meeting since 2019. And on next Monday's podcast, I'm hoping to recover enough from the week to put together a podcast or at least write something on the way home. Stay tuned. If it's not next Monday, it'll be the Monday after. This week, I want to highlight some new studies on the pharmacological treatment of autism symptoms or associated features in people with ASD. Some of them can be debilitating. I'm looking at you, depression, anxiety, aggression, and gastrointestinal problems. While we are talking about gastrointestinal problems, I want to just put a plug in to say that ASF is part of an initiative called CANDID, the Consortium for Autism, Neurodevelopmental Disorders, and Digestive Diseases. We have been and continue to collect information on GI issues in children through an online survey. Adults with ASD are not eligible at this time to complete the survey, and let me tell you why. There are already efforts underway by experts to develop better tools for adults with ASD to self-report their own GI issues. The goal of this project is not to duplicate what other people are doing. The goal is to gather information and then have a meeting on June 8th and 9th which will be virtual and free, to meet with scientists, clinicians, and also to share experiences and better figure out how to improve instruments, how to share data in repositories, and most importantly, educate doctors who work with families. They sometimes don't know how GI issues are something associated with autism. They, of course, are likely biologically linked to autism and developmental disorders, and people with autism and neurodevelopmental disorders are really kind of left hanging in terms of how their specific GI symptoms should be treated. And a lot of times they are more intense and more severe than people without. Whether you're a person with autism, a doctor, a clinician, a parent, we want you to participate in this meeting. The agenda includes a family panel to share experiences and report back on the results of the survey that circulated. How often do you participate in a study and then get an invite to see the results? Well, now you do. There will be talks on measures used to assess GI issues, which we agree need some help, the links between the GI system in both people and animal models to examine mechanisms. We know that GI issues aren't just distressing, they are deadly. Again, the meeting is open available to everyone The survey is open to parents of children with a neurodevelopmental disorder and GI issues. Now, the links will be in the podcast summary, but you can also just go to a website we've set up for this, www.candidgi.com, candidgi.com, all one word, to see the agenda for the meeting and see links for both the survey and the meeting registration. We are so proud to work with Indiana University the Phelan McDermott Syndrome Foundation, the International CDKL5 Alliance, and grateful for the support of our many valued sponsors. Register, please, and fill out the survey if you're a parent. We know the questions are not perfect. We hope to do better with your feedback. If you have any questions, please email us at info at candidgi.com. Now, since I started with the GI system, I'll continue with GI system, by reporting back on a very, very, very early results. So don't get too excited, but they were published in the journal Nature. The drug is a compound that targets the GI system and it specifically acts on the microbiome. Now, 
We've talked about the microbiome before. It's that colony of bacteria that lives in your saliva and your esophagus and your stomach and your intestine. This company targeted GI symptoms, but also irritability and anxiety in people with autism through the microbiome. This company is called Axial Therapeutics, and they've been so far focusing on animal model studies using a compound called AB004. AB004 basically latches onto metabolites of chemicals released by the microbiome. Specifically, it targets metabolites that were found in individuals with debilitating GI symptoms and ASD. The microbiome is something we all have, and we all need it. It's sometimes measured by looking at stool samples or, yes, poop. Now, there's mounting evidence that there's something going on in this microbiome of people with autism, especially those with GI issues. But it doesn't necessarily have to be only in people with GI issues. This has been a huge code to crack because there are thousands of different types of bacteria in the microbiome, and they've been linked to anything from psychiatric disorders to Parkinson's disease. Now, I'm not saying that the microbiome is the magic ticket by any means, that one thing that's going to change everything in people on the spectrum, but I do think we need to do better to understand it. Now, one thing that was showed last year by researchers in Australia is that differences in the microbiome are greatly due to dietary changes. And of course, you can understand why. What you eat affects your microbiome. So if you have dietary preferences like only eating white food or eating food with specific textures, that's going to affect the bacteria in your stomach. So the question for scientists is, what is it, the chicken or the egg? What came first, microbiome, gastrointestinal problems, autism spectrum disorders, or autism spectrum disorders, altered food, microbiome, gastrointestinal issues? The very early evidence in this compound shows that it doesn't even alter the microbiome. It targets metabolites of the microbiome, which are altered in people with autism. It suggests that lowering of these metabolites in early studies conducted in Australia shows that it also lowers irritability scores and anxiety. Now, the sample sizes were low, and there was a lot of variability. And let's face it, the effects were not huge. They were statistically significant, but whether they were clinically relevant is up for debate. They did also help GI issues. About 80% of those who were in the study had GI issues, but the number of those who had no GI issues, about 20%, doubled after treatment. So that went from about 80% having GI issues to 60% having GI issues. Now, I'm not saying this sort of treatment is for everyone, and just like any new compound, safety should be key. But the company is looking for participants in their next study, and it's in the U.S. this time. So if you're interested, the link is in the podcast summary. I'm not giving you any guarantees, but I know that families with GI issues need help, and understanding the microbiome is just one part, not all of it, but one part of GI issues and ASD. Now, another issue in understanding how drugs work in people with ASD is that some people may not be able to express adverse events, especially those with intellectual disability. Luckily, a group in Spain tackled this issue by looking not just at the medical records, which listed adverse events, but implementing what was known as a pharmacovigilance system. This includes two clinical pharmacologists who specialize in neurodevelopmental disorders and psychiatric conditions, going around to four different residential care facilities 
and looking at the medical records of about 100 people who have an intellectual disability. So instead of just passively monitoring for adverse events, these clinicians were sitting down in front of the records and actively looking for the drugs that the people were taking and tying them to the medications they were on. They linked them by looking at temporal sequence, how often the drug was taken and how rapidly the adverse event was seen, withdrawal, what happens when the drug was taken away, what happens when they were re-exposed. They looked at alternative causes, things that were going on that could have caused another adverse event. They looked at whether or not they were even on a drug or whether it was a placebo. And they were also able to measure drug levels in tissues and body fluids. They looked at dose-response relationships, like if they were on a low dose versus a high dose. So they didn't just look at someone got a drug and then someone had an adverse event and maybe or maybe not, they were linked. They were really dug into these medical records. What was interesting was that the people were on an average of four medications and they mostly included antipsychotics, anti-seizure medications, and medications to treat anxiety and depression. But mostly they were antipsychotics. They found that things like high cholesterol and extrapyramidal motor symptoms, which are things like inability to sit still, involuntary muscle contraction, tremors, stiff muscles, and involuntary facial movements, were more likely to be seen in those with intellectual disabilities. There was also a high rate of obesity in those taking valproic acid, which is a drug used to treat seizures. These effects were seen, but they were not seen as side effects of drugs unless there was a vigilant monitoring of the side effects by experts who knew how these medications may be linked to different symptoms. Now, high cholesterol may not necessarily be attributed to a drug unless you have an expert looking at it. These results call for everyone to keep careful track of their medications and have someone look up the potential side effects or do it for your child so you can carefully track and monitor what's going on. These side effects may be underestimated or it may be attributed to autism symptoms themselves and not the drugs. The good news is is that most of these adverse events are dose and time dependent, so they might be able to be prevented with close monitoring. So finally, some new news about a drug called Celexa. Celexa is also known as citalopram, and while it may be helpful in treating depression, it turns out it's also being commonly used to treat anxiety in people with autism. Turns out, not only does it not work, it doesn't work for the core symptoms of ASD like communication ability. The main issue was that the placebo or those who are on a sugar pill thinking they were getting Celexa also produced an effect. So just knowing you were on a medication helped with anxiety, regardless of whether or not you were actually taking a psychoactive drug or not. The study also confirmed that anxiety levels were reported by parents to be higher in those who could communicate. So what about those who could not communicate? Again, an understudied population that we may not truly understand their anxiety. More evidence that, just like in GI issues, we need better measures to look at things like anxiety in those who have minimal communication ability. Thank you for listening this week, and I hope to see some of you at INSAR. If not, I'll try and have a report on Monday. Thank you. Talk to you soon.